Hello everybody, so today we have a guest who I've met um, online and we kind of had a discussion before um, and so I don't know, we've, we got into a lot of interesting things so I figured it might be interesting to bring up some things or just kind of like have a conversation on the air. So. Uh, today, some of the topics, at least one of the topics that we're going to explore is kind of the psychology of ego death and possibly why this might be traumatic or why psychedelics or potentially other similar drugs could be traumatic or if they even are. Science, where we discuss crazy ideas. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Gage Clark. So I have an individual named Tommy here with me, and um, I guess how about how about you introduce yourself, Tommy? Sure. So uh, I'm Tommy. I'm 23. Uh, I've had a lot of experience with psychedelics, mainly with the intent to sort of heal my mental health, uh, overcome various barriers, and internal struggles I've dealt with over the years and really the best way to put it was they've been the biggest blessing for me so far you know they've they've helped me in so many ways overcome things and just to give a general overview of how that's happened they would give me new uh, ways to look at things new ways to see uh, how I treat myself how I view my problems and Along with that, they they bring their own struggles as well because of how different and intense, I guess you could say, the, the experiences are. Uh, and that's something I'd really like to explore today. Yeah, so I should mention, um, this isn't a topic that I've thought super thoroughly on, but I do have some ideas on it. Um, yeah, so so I think what's going to happen is probably it's going to be in some sense a kind of... I think we're going to end up both exploring this idea, and I think it might be kind of like brainstorming, but uh, mm-hmm. something, something along those lines. Um, so I guess, like, first, how about... So what, what particular... Like, where do you think we should start? Um, I could give a brief history of how they've, I've incorporated them and they've changed me perhaps. And then from there we can delve into the basic psychology behind why that might be. And then 
like you said earlier, uh, their relation to ego death and traumatic experiences from that, perhaps, if that, if you think that would work. Yeah, we could do it like that. Um, we could also, uh, yeah, the, I mean, like, yeah, that works. How about, um, so, so I'm assuming that the first part that you mentioned, I'm assuming you mean positive experiences, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that might be good, because if we just jump right into uh, ego death, because that's pretty much what I was thinking, just like, let's just straight up go right there. But maybe that gives like a, like uh, maybe a... Actually, we could do that. Uh, we could? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming this audience would understand what that would mean, so... Yeah, I actually wonder, so my position on ego death, I think, I think it's sometimes it's hard to understand what it refers to. And I think that it's also possible that a lot of people will have different meanings for what that is. Um, like, I'm not sure. Okay, like, so, so one thing I think about ego death in general is that, like, depending on what it means, like if it's talking about a state where you are not having a sense of ego, I think um, that on some level that's happening all the time, but I think that the, that would kind of bother people if I started to like refer to ego death in that way. Like, so for example, you could get really immersed into a video game and kind of lose touch with your sense of self, but I don't think people would necessarily call video games as a, kind of ego death experience right they might uh, but i don't know i i have a feeling that there's something particular that people are describing and actually people might be describing different things like so in my case like i do notice that when i'm on something like say psilocybin or ketamine or salvia or something i can actually forget who i am in a different kind of way than i if i were just distracted by like a movie or a video game or something uh -huh. um but i also think that i might be using that concept way more liberally like like in my head what i'm thinking happens on these substance substances is that i can uh in some sense like I, I think we all have this very like conditioned tendency to bring out uh, the ego or ideas of like our identity or being judged and different things like that really habitually like even when we're alone I think we tend to like ruminate about how things relate to our sense of self and but I don't think that we're always doing that and I think that what these substances might do is break away our kind of habitual tendency to do that um, but I also think that when people are talking about ego death, I don't know, I suspect they mean something much more intense. So, so I guess let's start with this. For you in particular, or in particular, what, uh, the experiences that you would describe as ego death, what are those experiences like? Uh, uh, yeah, bef before I touch on that, uh, I really liked that point of, um, ego death from a, a non-psychedelic lens like video games for example and i actually noticed that with with myself uh 
But but the main discrepancy I would put between that kind of ego death versus, say, from psilocybin, for example, is I, I, I feel like when I'm experiencing a form of ego death from, let's say, a video game, it feels like I'm I'm detaching from myself, but I'm detaching into the reality of the video game. Like, I'm, I'm projecting myself into something where... Mm. Whereas uh, with psilocybin, I'm, I'm not really detaching. I'm sort of separating my awareness with myself, but I'm still, I, I, I can still see it, if that makes sense. Like, for example, uh, when I'm playing a video game, my sense of, oh, my name's Tommy, I'm sitting in this chair playing this game sort of evaporates, but... Uh, it's totally in the background of my mind, but when I'm on a psychedelic, uh, it's more so I'm keeping that awareness of my ego with me. It's more so it's just in the, it's not in the foreground, but I'm still aware of it. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, but (laughs) regardless, um, the... My experiences with uh, ego death, I would say, I feel like it's almost like I'm experiencing a sort of non-duality of things, almost like, uh, we've probably heard this a million times just in many different words and ways of describing it, but uh, becoming one with the universe, so to speak, like... uh, the more I detach from my sense of self, the more I I emerge into my surroundings, into being of whatever you might want to call it, vibrations around us, energy, and that sounds very uh, nuanced and, and mystical, but if that's how I could put it, that's what I would say. Hmm. Yeah, you... The first thing you mentioned, that was an interesting point about um, kind of detaching from, I guess, maybe identifying with your ego and still looking at it exists like it's um, something different than if you were to kind of disengage with the sense of ego, like during a video game where it's kind of just like, it's like you're more fully distracted by uh, what's happening in the game that you kind of don't... Um, it's like as if there's no room for the ego moment. Although I'm sure like many people still experience some sort of ego actually within the game too. Like, uh, like their confidence probably is a factor. Like they oh, probably yeah. get insecure of, of their... Like, if they're in a competitive game. Um, So there is that, which is kind of something I wasn't thinking about at first. Um, Hmm. So, so I guess... So, okay, so real quick, just just a short... uh, When you... So you kind of had, like, a... It seemed like you had, like, a single sentence of what it was at the end there of what you just said. Um of describing what the ego death moment is. You said something about, like, kind of like that one with the universe thing, but then you said something after that. Can, can you remind me what you said? I kind of like... Uh, yeah, um, I feel like we sort of, in these experiences, we 
dissolve our sense of self and we 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 realize there is no separation it's almost a non-dual state uh perceptually uh just to give an example uh i would say my most profound ego death experience was on 5meo and during this moment as i slowly i wouldn't say slowly i would actually say very fast at a very fast paced pace evaporated my sense of self uh I got the overwhelming sense that there was no such thing as separation from one thing to another, almost as if I am you, you are me, I am the rug I'm laying on, I am the air I'm breathing. Uh, that's what I would sort of tie it to. The ego death is in the sense that we, we lose our sense of individual identity and realize it. I don't want to say it's an illusion. I don't, I don't know, to be honest, but th that was the sense I was getting. Wow, this actually touches on something I've been kind of obsessed with lately, and I was intending to make a write-up about something, but I, I don't know if I'm actually going to. I have to think about it still, but, but there's this... So there's this... I don't know if you watch Vsauce. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, he's great. Yeah, there was this video he just recently did called Do Chairs Exist? And it kind of gets into like ontology and the idea of whether things exist at all like specifically like especially like if we name an object uh does that is that object something that exists in reality like i'm sure the there are maybe atoms there or something like that but or even i mean even that gets like maybe debatable but but there is something out there uh or even yeah, i don't know there's so many weird ways to word this like now i'm kind of questioning like what do i mean by out there <laughs> but but for most yeah. people i think i think there's a general idea that there is an external world from us <laughs> and um that there are like let's say like these chairs right but but it's not like chairs are something that is part of the external world that's kind of how we identify like a clump of uh or like a pattern of something happening through our uh. senses and um and like with that i feel like there's like two two different kind of directions that one can take i think that one can sort of view things as fundamentally like fully atomized and that there there are just like there's just this like extremely complicated interaction of like highly atomized things going on in the external world and that all of these things that we identify as objects or animals or uh whatever else it might be they're kind of um not really like like the things that we identify as being animals or objects aren't really those things that they, they are those are just uh kind of patterns of interactions that uh -huh. we're boxing in and so like like one of the interesting things he brings up in the video is like the idea of the object called a trog which is a tree that's near a dog and so like 
that seems like totally absurd to just label yeah. like a tree and a dog as a single object, right? And we can ask, do trogs exist in the external universe? And it's like, I think people would think that's ridiculous. Um, so it's like the other thing is you can kind of, you can make anything an object if you want it. It just depends on how useful is naming that thing. Like, like if you, trees and dogs have no, like this combo object, if that combo object has no relation to our lives in any significant way, then there's no reason to talk about it and give it a word. Um, and then there's like the other direction that you can kind of take rather than atomizing everything. Um, you can kind of see it as all connected. I feel like, like, um, or they're not necessarily like contradictory perspectives. I feel, uh, <laughs> like both of those things are in some sense true that the universe itself is like a single kind of existence of interacting uh things and i think that um in that sense like like so there's like a lot of things that come to mind in that like if, if we think of like where the self starts and ends like you can kind of take those directions there too where like am i only the thing that is sentient like am i even like am i my brain like there's presumably parts of my brain that aren't conscious so am i not those parts of my brain like am i only like a really really tiny aspect of my brain oh uh, yeah and then alternatively like if if i am the things that i control like if my hands are part of myself because i can control them then i feel like we shouldn't necessarily stop at our hands either because i use my hands to control the world around me like i can use like the same way that i learn to use my hands i can learn to use my hands to use a video game controller which might wirelessly control things going on on my TV screen. So like I can learn to control the pixels on my TV screen by using my hands to do it, right? I feel like it's not really distinct in that way and it gets even weirder when you start to think of like interacting with other people. Like I can yell out like if someone's in the street and they're about to get hit by a car and I say, "Hey, watch out." I'm essentially like controlling their mind in a weird way by uh -huh. kind of making a sound that causes them to think certain thoughts and feel certain ways and then to act in certain ways so it's yeah. like and i think like if we had some crazy kind of technology that amplified intelligence like connecting ourselves with ai i think the limit of that would expand so much that um, oh yeah we could potentially just control other people as if they are like video game controllers or as if they are our own hands. And it's like, I wonder in that case, would that be like a hive mind? I don't know. Yeah, like, that's interesting. So like, yeah, you can go now. I talked a lot. <laughs> yeah. Back to those Vsauce thoughts. Uh, that, that makes me think, uh, sorry if I butcher this explanation, but uh, say for example, like you were saying, we see a tree out there, so to speak. At, at some level, isn't that physical object, the tree, just 
uh, a chemical signal in our own mind that we are experiencing we're not experiencing let's say i even touch it or i hug it for example i'm i'm ex at the end of the day that entire experience of the tree is technically an internal one is it would you say i'm yeah. just curious i found that interesting yeah i mean it's yeah i think it's true that we only experience some small part of our brain like it's not even necessarily like we don't experience the signals I don't think I would say that we experience the signals occurring in our hands for example mm -hmm. um, but it depends again like what that means like it's kind of like a domino effect where like at the, the very last domino is the one that we maybe experience or something like that uh, yeah yeah that's a good point like uh not to go too off topic but for example you know colorblind people uh that their inability to see certain waves of light that you know to it just goes to show that it's it's almost an internal experience of how we perceive things outside of us and there's almost a, a biological filter um and it's it's different for different animals obviously even for some humans like who are colorblind for example it's just interesting to think about about what's actually real and what actually is an internal filter that we are using you know yeah sometimes i wonder like you mentioned different animals having different experiences i sometimes wonder if what if i don't know like what if humans have completely vastly different experiences and we just like the only thing that's like connecting us is the sounds we make that we've assigned to some kind of correlate of how external events impact our own, I guess, neurology or something. It's kind of like a weird thing. Like, what if, I don't know, like, what if circles to someone else is not really looking anything like, I mean, I mean, presumably it, it might I don't know, like, that's a really weird thing. Like, I almost wonder if it would have to, but... Uh -huh. But there's probably at least differences in terms of, like, things like... The spacing... The feeling of how distant objects are, or how large they are, or, like... I don't know, but that that's a weird thing. So I guess, like, let's get a little bit back on topic. Um, so, okay, so we're kind of getting at the idea of ego death and possibly the idea that it could be kind of traumatic. So like, well, so I want to know, what do you think of that? Yeah. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Be, uh, specifically for the reason, uh, that I mentioned to you earlier before this, which was, um, I get these sort of PTSD-esque flashbacks of the very brief but uh, overwhelming come-up of the ego death on 5-MEO. And uh, I guess I could elaborate on how that plays out exactly. Um, so, uh, <laughs> before I describe it, uh, this experience, uh, it was by far the most intense single experience I've had in my life and uh, for the reason I'm about to mention is 
uh, from the point of inhalation to the full-blown quote-unquote ego death, uh, it's about 15 seconds. So within that 15 seconds, uh, you know, I went from Tommy, uh, you know, a human being, so to speak, on Earth <laughs> in this physical realm to just, you know, not, uh, being everything, if that makes I don't. I, I struggle to put it into words still, as you can tell, but uh, the, the point I'm getting at is that it was very intense, and, you know, if we experience an intense experience in our just sober lives, uh, it, it's it, we can manifest it as a form of trauma and, you know, internalize it and have it live with us for the rest of our lives or for a certain duration until we fully process it and heal from it and uh so i guess what i'm trying to say is from the perspective of my ego during those 15 seconds the best way i can describe it is i felt like i was dying and because that's a very uh you know death itself is a very instinctive process i don't want to say process i guess uh notion that we all have just i would argue at a deep animalistic level uh a part of me internalized that experience a very traumatic one and of course there's a part of my mind that's going this is necessary this is what i need to do to heal uh i need to bypass my ego and get into this ego death position in order to, to fully learn and uh my consciousness be, uh, travel down the spiritual path that I want to go down uh, but like I said I think there's a part of me that uh, <laughs> I just don't know how to put it other than I felt threatened by it and hurt and I can actually give you an, uh, an example of how this manifests in my actual life uh, sure so sure uh, so in those 15 seconds, um, I heard a very, very loud noise, and it was the equivalent of uh, the ohm that you would hear in, you know, chants, prayers, and that ohm would get significantly louder and louder and louder until there was no way for me to separate, uh, just as I'm saying that, there's a plane flying overhead, one second, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that, but, um, so as that that noise got louder and louder in those fifteen seconds, uh, it it became so loud to the point where I couldn't distinguish anything outside of that noise from that noise. It was almost like I became that noise, and as that was happening, uh, my vision disintegrated into this pure whiteness. I couldn't see anything except white. Um, and I truly felt like I was one with everything. I felt like there was no separation from my practitioner that was giving me the medicine, from uh, the pipe, from the, the rug I was laying on. Of course, this sounds very silly from a not from a sober perspective, but uh, and so just to give you an example, like I was saying, of how I this affects me in my day to day life, and I get these flashbacks is. Uh, let's say my there's a, someone cutting my grass and I hear a lawnmower and I hear the the uh, the motor and it's ma it's not making the noise ohm but it's making a very similar revving up noise that 
slowly gets louder and louder and it has a very similar vibration uh so to speak my mind will instantly travel back to that moment in time where i'm experiencing full-on ego death and i i get this very overwhelming sense that i have to brace myself and surrender again uh and it quite literally feels like i'm dying not to the similar not to the extent of the five meo but uh it's almost like a mini ego death so to speak and i i coin it as almost like a ptsd inducing event because it, it catches me off guard and when you're not in that clinical setting of oh i'm going here to heal and you're just walking down the street and then all of a sudden you hear like a helicopter or something <laughs> as crazy as it sounds uh it's almost like a environmental cue which we talked about yeah. a while ago that uh it lives on within you and i'm a, i'm of the belief that a part of our ego is like this concept that is separate from our higher selves so no matter how aware i become of it it's almost like an instinctive urge to feel threatened when i when i relate back this initial 5meo experience uh i just i just talked a lot so if you would like to add on to that or have any thoughts that would be that would be great so what i'm curious about so so you described okay when you mentioned the kind of ohm sound were, were you describing um were you describing the moments on 5meo or are you describing that also happened sober and caused you to basically like uh kind of like zoom into the sound and lose touch for a second uh so i when i smoked 5meo uh i immediately felt my heart race and i felt, felt like i i, I knew, knew i was going to die but not in the physical sense uh it, it was almost like an overwhelming sense of i just knew it was going to happen at, on the mental or spiritual sense of ego death if you want to call it that and as i was becoming aware of this it must have been in my own head i don't know how else to put it but i i heard ohm and it got so loud and i actually uh, did some research before i w did 5meo for just obvious reasons and i heard that was a very common theme just along with the the white vision where everything is a pure bright white light uh so i, I would say I, I to my best knowledge that was an internal experience that happened and I associate it now with that 5MEO experience. Yeah. There's a lot of things I'm thinking about this. Um, so, like, okay, when you mention the... You mentioned kind of the... Um, say, like, the lawnmower. When that happens, do you... Do you, like hyper fixate on that experience to the point that you're like kind of having a similar like like is it like the lawnmower sound becomes all-encompassing for a second or anything like that uh yeah absolutely so this kind of makes me think um so i recently the, the thing that i've been really interested in is the idea of how attention um, plays a role in kind of 
a lot of experiences and also particularly psychedelics and dissociatives. And that's kind of where my mind immediately goes in this case, because like, so what I've kind of noticed before, like in my experience, when I even do like, so I've done something like like a small amount of uh, psilocybin and was in the forest. And what I was able to do at one point was I sort of like started to focus on my kind of like my vision and hearing to such a degree that it was almost like I was losing touch with the internal world uh, in the sense of like I'm not thinking thoughts anymore or thinking about ideas or any of that like I'm so focused on just seeing and hearing that it's like Uh it's almost like that started to amplify while my thinking or imagination or whatever else was just kind of disappearing and my entire subjective experience was just these senses and and it wasn't like a constant thing it was like kind of fluctuating like I would go in and out of that like focusing on my senses and like something I kind of realized is I think a lot of the ways that we experience the world are based on how we attend to it and also I think that a lot of the times what these kind of these chemicals are doing to us is affecting the way that we attend to things so I think that we're kind of conditioned to attend to everything in a normal or well attend to it in a usual way so like I think that throughout growing especially in our early years I think we're like heavily trained to like do certain things with the way that we attend to the world Uh so like with children I think children have a vivid imagination that they can actually attend to internal stimuli as if they were as strong as external stimulation but I think what happens is that we train that out of children because it's actually useful to be kind of constantly attentive to like Mm. our classes or um, doing tasks or trying to manipulate the external world whereas the internal world it like a lot of the times it's mostly focused on like like just pleasing the self through whatever you dream up Um, but there are specific cases like where thinking about ideas or like kind of speaking to ourselves inside of our mind or how we perform mathematics and stuff like that that does have applicability to the external world in a way that brings us rewards and so i think like we're essentially like trained to attend everything the way that we do it and i think that the drugs might kind of disrupt our trained self and so what that ends up doing is kind of freeing us to become fully absorbed into different elements of our subjective experience in ways that we usually are like too heavily trained to do so like when i experience immersing into just my vision and hearing uh usually i'm actually normally attending to interpretations that i'm thinking about in relation to the external world 
So like if I look at a tree, I think about what the tree means and like predictions about the tree, like that it's solid and doesn't move and that it's not a threat and all these things that aren't really relevant to what I'm sensing actually. And I think in the moments on psilocybin, I actually was only sensing and then it got to the point that my actual interpretation of the world started to fall apart because I was no longer paying attention to these kind of judgments in my head. And it's almost like it started to just become a picture that I look at and there are no boundaries of the objects or any of that. And I think like what I imagine in your case is that you've essentially like fully attended to what might have been an internal stimuli that was just this ohm sound. Mm. And I think the intenseness of it probably did condition you now to where anything that reminds you of that intense experience brings you back to kind of your responses to it that you felt in the moment and also all the kind of memories associated to it. So like, this is where it gets kind of weird because like, I think the way that psychedelics can help people with trauma is partly because of the way that they're disrupting that trained way of attending to things. So like, for example, I think it's possible that if you were to take psilocybin right now and experience the lawnmower, you might not have that same experience of being triggered into uh, uh, the yeah. usual thing. But at the same time, you might immerse so intensely into the idea of dying, <laughs> basically, that yeah. you actually scar yourself in another way. But I think like, like, so in that sense, it might be that psychedelics can both help with kind of experiencing the world without our trauma cues but at the same time you might develop new ones if the experience is super intense uh yeah absolutely so uh what do you think about that does it sound correct do you think does it do you have any ideas about it um yeah i mean i would i would love to really get to the bottom of that but i do I th I really think it goes both ways, yeah. Um, recently, I've 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 had an epiphany, like uh, I want to say a few weeks ago, where I realized uh, the the most profound moments in my life were all my my psychedelic experiences. But with those experiences came also my greatest fears that I have now, almost, and um. A part of me wants to argue that uh, a part of our ego is entirely separate from our awareness, almost like like our sexual urges, our urges to eat. It's almost like an intrinsic aspect of our animal nature to the point where it, it's out of bounds or it's out of reach from our uh, from our ability to change it almost. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's always a fear I have associated with those experiences because of how intense they are. Um, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm putting it into yeah. words in a sound so, way. 
So one thing I was going to ask you, well, I, you kind of already answered it, I think, which is why I didn't bring it up. But, but well, I guess let me rephrase this. So, so kind of what I heard you say earlier is like during the five MEO experience, you kind of, mm. you pretty much as it's happening in some sense, believe that you are dying like potentially i imagine that you might be thinking like well this is it like uh my brain is going to be fried i'm gonna like like maybe you're not thinking this but it might be like it might be convincing enough that you are about to stop existing uh-huh. or lose everything um and I'm kind of curious, like, what do you think about that? Like, do you think that's true? Do you think, like, as you're in that experience, do you feel like, like, this is the end? Like, that it's fine? Um, um, it's funny you ask that. I When I went to do my c- ceremony, I went with my brother and one of my friends. And uh, one, not my brother, nor me, but my friend who went, uh if i'm recalling this correctly he he felt like the physical sense that he was actually no longer going to be there oh actually <laughs> so this happened with my friend and my brother went back a second time and just just what you described he this didn't happen the first time but the second time he went back to 5meo again during that come up he said he quite literally thought he was going to die and whereas like I was saying I thought I was going to die well I knew I was going to die but I was confident uh, to such a high degree that it I don't I'm not literally going to die it's more so that my consciousness is going to completely slip out of my control and I have to completely surrender to you know God knows what maybe God itself yeah, <laughs> but uh, my brother uh, was convinced that he was actually like going to be on death's bed in a literal sense that oh like I'm about to pass away and I, I got that sensation when I did it uh, because your your heart beats so starts beating so fast out of nowhere and you, you really do think you're gonna die but I, I did enough research to where I could hold a thought in my mind <laughs> as well as I could that oh I'll be all right and just one funny thing to mention um, Mike Tyson uh, he talks about uh, his experience all the time with Five Mio and he I don't know if you heard it, it's pre- it's a pretty popular YouTube video but he talks about how once he inhaled it he th- he literally thought uh, oh I fucked up like oh, I'm I'm screwed I'm they're gonna be an ambulance so I'm dead. Uh, yeah, you know it sounds funny almost to think about it or talk about it now, but it really is that genuine when you when you inhale it. Yeah, I think that it kind of makes sense. Like, so well, there's like a, there's a couple different things that, like, so so in the case of thinking that you're going to actually die, um, I think just that itself. Like, whatever other experiences that you have in those moments as well will be heavily associated with... Oh, wow. Yeah. ...the feeling of 
that you're going to die because it's almost like I a warning sign. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's actually a yeah. <laughs> and um, so like with with the case of like like so you experienced kind of that ohm sound, and I think like the, the reason that something like that exists in our psyche is because like the thing is like death is so high cost right like literally that's the thing that yeah that's the entire, yeah it's like the thing that we're designed to not have happen or something <laughs> um uh -huh. and so i think when when we when our mind is convinced that that is what is close to happening i think that whatever is associated to it especially things that are novel like like so maybe not even novel but i think well, okay, well, let me think how to say this first. Um, well, okay, so just, just like a brief thing about kind of conditioned responses. I think that, like, the thing is, if you've never conditioned a certain, like, stimuli, um, like, so, so if you have something that's already conditioned, like, say, like, say someone says hi to you, like, people say hi to you all the time. So, like, most of your experiences that people are saying hi to you, they're kind of... Uh -huh already programmed with like responses and generalizations yeah. about what that experience kind of implies about your level of safety or whatever else it is um but if there's something new new like things that, like that like, home sound yeah yeah like that's something that you've probably never or rarely experienced and yeah. i think that those things like if you think of like in your mind the kind of generalizations you can make like 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 so say say someone said hi to you in that experience it's possible you would still develop some kind of trauma but you've also experienced the, that high situation so much that it's kind of like if you look at like like what are the chances that this high experience is going to be the really scary bad one versus uh just the rest of them i feel like there's a high likelihood that it's going to be more like the kind of generalizable experience that you've already had for or it's kind of there's been more cases that it's like one way than the other right and but then with the ohm sound like there might be almost no experience like it so that when things start to seem like that it's like an indicator that you're probably going to die and the weird thing is i wonder like if we're actually dying if you would start to experience such an ohm sound as well <laughs> that would be kind of a weird interesting thing yeah absolutely well um so, so the other thing i kind of wanted to bring up is that i think it's possible that even though you know that you might not physically die there are a lot of other things that can be horribly traumatic so like um like a common one like like okay so the so a very common one in terms of using different substances is to to basically like have an experience that results in your inability to ever function in life again and yeah. like people basically will usually talk about it like in the terms of becoming crazy or like never going back to normal and usually i think what that entails it's not just not going back to normal because like if someone's depressed or traumatized they often don't want to go back to normal probably so i think it's like it's not just about whether it's normal or not i think it's about specifically like 
like something might happen where you can't hold down a job and then your life is like ruined or something and i think that like that's what people fear is that their lives could be just totally ruined if their experience goes some bad way and i think actually the belief that that is going to be the case can be traumatic and that can actually lead people down a path that has real problematic implications which is kind of a weird thing because it's like like to believe that that's what's going to happen like especially if during the experience you like like obviously most people in these experiences if they were in that state while they're trying to hold down a job um that probably wouldn't go over so well right like probably for the most part these substances are inducing a state that makes us incapable of going about our daily lives like during the state and i think when people experience that and start to imagine that that would that they would never come down from it i think that in itself becomes traumatic and then Uh they might actually carry that into their daily lives and that might not even be about the drug itself which is kind of a weird way to think about it like so what i mean by that is like it's not necessarily that the drug itself is like inducing like a chemical response that induces trauma or induces like lasting effects but i think actually the sort of things that unfold like the narratives and beliefs that unfold during the experience can be the things that have lasting effects like um in this case believing that you will never be sane or functional again could be like highly traumatic and then if you start to kind of like in the same way that you developed a response to like where you can you can elicit your conditioned response with the lawnmower sound right and i think other people they might have some sort of complex kind of situation of sorts that somehow this belief that they'll never function again has now carried over into their real life and then they might actually not be able to function which uh, could become like a feedback loop yeah uh, and yeah that's kind of a sad thing and it's weird because like the the memes on the internet and elsewhere like in our culture that tell us that it's possible for that to happen to us is part of what makes it oh absolutely possible right so it's it's a really weird thing and that might all be not contingent on the actual effects of the drug on a physiological level like Uh, that might just be totally like imagination inducing trauma based on like beliefs circulating in the culture like almost Uh like it's almost like mass hysteria in a weird way but not exactly the same thing yeah i find this uh this topic fascinating actually (laughs) yeah it's weird (laughs) yeah i uh i mean i would i could talk about this for hours i i love to think about this uh but one i i watched a ted talk uh a few weeks ago and um this guy was talking about uh, a tribe uh native native tribe that lived isolated from modern society and when someone in the tribe would get uh visions almost uh kind of like 
what's the word illusions uh i can't think of it off the top of my head um they would essentially get visions almost like they were going crazy and they would see things spirits demons and when they would tell their fellow tribesmen that they were quote-unquote going crazy obviously they're not speaking in english but uh when they would communicate that they would be placed at a very high rank in the tribe and be designated as someone who would heal mental ailments from other people because they could quote-unquote see these energies and uh it was fascinating because it just shows you how the, the group perspective that is pushed and that narrates what crazy quote-unquote is uh very much has an effect on the outcome of how that person functions in society so for example that person who uh started seeing things and voices and whatnot they uh they were deemed you know to be extra aware and able to heal whereas if you put if you coin someone with those attributes in this society you know we kind of <laughs> it's not a pretty route you know we lock them behind bars or yeah we put them on some sort of medication saying oh that's not good you have to suppress those visions or those aren't authentic or something's wrong with you or you can't get this job now because you you're listening to something that's not actually happening it's very interesting yeah the thing that's really kind of I guess odd about it is like so what I imagine if if say like with this tribe example um I don't know like the, the things that start to come to mind are that like in some sense some amount of the people in these tribes might uh potentially want to be that in so much that uh, they might actually oh, seek out it too yeah yeah or even fake it yeah like i don't know about i don't want to assume too much like because maybe like i don't know but yeah like seeking it out like that the other weird thing is that because it's rewarded they might find ways to maintain or enhance their ability to do it like the first thing i was thinking is like like how a lot of the people might start using like hallucinogenic substances right and like i wonder if any of the people that get labeled with that term if they actually intentionally seek out such substances first so that they can elicit such visionary experiences and become or acquire that label within their society and like i even wonder what if like they skillfully learn how to maintain such effects like through sleep deprivation or eating uh, habits yeah. and all kinds of things like whether well, they might intentionally narrating say, on stories and yeah like like if in our culture we would say this is like not taking care of yourself and letting yourself slip into psychosis right but like in this other society it might be like like a biohacking in order to maximize your effectiveness yeah. in your role <laughs> you know like it's, it's yeah. a really weird thing uh-huh and like another thing is like i wonder if rewarding such experiences um i don't know like what well, well, well i don't know what i was gonna say about that but uh -huh. but yeah um uh, one other thing i 
I actually use this as an argument to myself when I uh, struggle with these thoughts on psychedelics because, uh, well, firstly, I, I should say in, in all my psychedelic experiences, even when I went to Costa Rica and did ayahuasca with uh, some experienced people, uh, or I just did mushrooms with my friends at college or whatever, th that is by far the most common theme I see with people struggling is the fear of going crazy, but you can qu term crazy to a million different ideas of what it may mean, but the, the theme I noticed across all of them of this fear is that they worry that uh, their functionality or their how people will perceive them will be out of touch with like the the the, the mainstream paradigm and uh, it, it's just so fascinating to think about because just for one example let's say you, you were the only person on earth and you took these substances would you even have that fear to begin with of going crazy quote unquote I mean you might get the fear of mm -hmm. oh I can't hunt this animal right now because I'm mentally handicapped. I'm, you know, I'm seeing rainbows when there's a there's a tiger right in front of me. But uh, I feel like the, at least from my experience, the notion of or the fear rather of uh, going insane or crazy, it seems to be very predicated on oh my current identity or who I sh shaped myself up to be of these twenty years on Earth as Tommy is no longer, you know. I, it's no longer going to be adequate or live up to the name, so to speak. Uh, and it's it's just so interesting. I don't know. It's very hard to put into words sometimes, but it's very interesting, like how we we attach onto this idea of crazy and how I always found it amazing how even in myself, this was by far the most popular thought I would have or I would see in my friends, bar none. It's but the crazy itself I mean we could talk about this for hours but like what actually does it mean you know yeah. on some level like you said it is the functionality like getting a job so to speak I, but I feel like there's layers beyond that that we could totally explore if you had any thoughts on that yeah I think like in essence it's like we aren't afraid of going crazy like I don't know like I mean, it depends. There might be people who are, like, afraid of particular experiences that's, that are labeled crazy. Like, say if you see, like, if you hallucinate something scary, that's a case where you might be afraid of going crazy. But, like, uh, what if you yeah. sit there and you experience something totally euphoric? I don't think that that should be something inherently scary, right? So, like, and... I think like really the core of things that we are afraid of is like a long list of things that are associated to whatever crazy means and um, like so so in a weird way um, like there's people who might be um, like say you're among uh, you're among a bunch of people with a particular set of beliefs um, like, so sometimes I use examples like if you're like an atheist in a church, uh, a Christian uh -huh. church or something, um, or, I mean, it could be the other way around, too. Uh, you might actually believe your perspective to be more 
sane, but you will be afraid for them to find out. Maybe not in all cases, like some people kind of come out of the closet, so to speak, but I think that that's kind of a similar fear to being crazy. Like we're afraid of what other people will do to us and how they will hurt or potentially abuse us for not being the way that we are supposed to be. Like so, um. like if we hallucinate, like say we work at some job place and we bring up a hallucination that we had and it doesn't really impact our performance at all and it has no effect on anything related to our work. I feel like people might still get fired and that's just kind of almost abusive and it's and it's kind of I mean it's not intentional like people just don't understand maybe that it has no implications for their work but I think it's possible that people live like that and what they're afraid of is being harmed by other people and being judged and like so you brought up that idea like if we were the only person on earth that's kind of what it highlights is that we are afraid of other people hurting us because of our mind changing to something else potentially like when we take these substances we're afraid that we will become a different kind of person that uh that everyone around us will not accept so you think it's bringing out a more primitive fear and it's not the psychedelic itself but it's rather amplifying these basic fears that we may not be totally aware of up until we're in this very vulnerable state kind of yeah like i think i think generally people on psychedelics the thing that they will be afraid of is probably they might be afraid of something like brain damage or like losing their ability but even that like brain damage i think isn't something we inherently fear it's still the losing the ability to do something that we previously could and that that would make our lives suck or something like the fear of irreversibly ruining our lives or uh, losing all of the rewarding things that we are attached to Um, and I think that's probably most of the cases like in my case I know that that is what I experience and I even actively think about it like I think about what if I see the world like this forever and sometimes Uh I even accept it and think like maybe that would be interesting maybe I can go about in this like hyper emotional state and just see like to kind of taste the flavor or the emotional feeling of all the things around me in this world and kind of somehow apply that to maybe even like music or something like so in a weird way like I've wondered like in a positive way what if I forever was changed you know yeah 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 I I found it very interesting that it's it's such a common theme every time i i experience these substances with other people um another thought i had was uh i it's it's almost like i don't want to this is a very hot take for some people maybe i don't know but i don't want to seem too naive when i say this but uh it's almost like the the the, those kind of fears that are brought up on a trip it's it's almost like it's signaling to us the parts of us 
that are not authentic and uh, when we're brought face to face with not to sound too mystical like when we're in an ego this state and we're in direct contact with our soul or we're we're not thinking from a egoic perspective we see things out of in a very clear way and a part of us lashes back at that those truths or those new awarenesses and says uh oh that would be crazy or like just to give an example um the first time i tripped on psychedelics uh, i thought i was going insane and i thought i was going insane because uh i realized all of my values in life were from a place of fear i was overcompensating in order to make those make those values uh the best example I can give is how I spent my time. I spent almost all my time trying to prove to others I was good enough or I was adequate. And because I got that message, uh, a part of me didn't want to accept it. I told myself, oh, I'm going insane. Not that I was actually going insane, but rather that I was realizing that I was insane because I was living from a lie, I guess you could say, or a place of such deep-rooted fear and uh, my personal belief on this top this psychedelics is that it gets such a bad rap uh, bad rap rather for being connotized as oh you're gonna go crazy if you do that or oh it'll quote-unquote fry your brain because um, most people struggle with that first realization that oh maybe i i am crazy right now and and i'm actually not going to be crazy when i'm in this heightened state if i don't know if that makes sense or you can relate to that but yeah. uh the, the more i travel into psychedelics especially on ayahuasca where i was surrounded by about 30 people who are all hyper spiritual hyper aware just so in line with their it seemed like their best version of themselves that I got the overwhelming sense, this is in Costa Rica by the way, I got the overwhelming sense that, you know, Western civilization, like, they sort of are crazy and yeah, fear of being normal, they, they say, oh, that's crazy. No, it's, I don't want to sound too loony, but you know, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, so... So what I think about, so you kind of mentioned, okay, wait, let me think. Um, okay, so what's kind of coming to mind is that the way that I see or uh, the way that I imagine that psychedelics work partly is, well, okay, hold on, before I get into that, actually. So the things that we're talking about when we think of like ego or going insane, I think that we basically, in life, we're completely sculpted by our environment, right? Like, we have this whole situation of society, and it is kind of training us to think, behave, and do things in certain ways. So, like, the way that we think about things in daily life, like the way that we keep track of time, or the uh. way that we kind of have... We basically have a lot of conditioned responses, like we've been trained to be what we imagine is human. And it's like, it's not really human, it's more like 
some weird like sculpted existence created by the western civilization that you live in including like your family and everything around you and like our entire lives are completely kind of hijacked by our conditioned responses and we think that we're seeing what life is and we live in this like comfortable bubble of like conditioned thinking conditioned um kind of beliefs about how the world works and even like i mean like like it's i keep i want to talk more specifically about like rather than just saying conditioned responses i feel like that's so vague but but if you kind of think about it, it's almost like every little detail is kind of rooted back to conditioned things like the things that you mentioned of how your life is like dictated by fears that is partly because of the conditioned responses of your environment like like society is kind of hijacking our instincts about avoiding death about like avoiding being like outcast and isolated and like they're hijacking our reward systems to make us chase certain behaviors and actions and like when we get jobs it's like in some sense hijacking both right our reward system and our yeah fears and all this stuff and the thing that i think happens when we take the psychedelics is that it's kind of unhinging all of the conditioned responses and making us see life actually from like the core of just being alive or something weird like that yeah, like amazing. you mentioned the soul kind of and it's almost like like the thing is we are afraid of the ego death experience um, like that, the thing, okay, let me think how to say this. Being afraid of that is why we're not experiencing it in daily life. Like that is why we are conditioned to behave this way. Like, like it's almost like the same situation. And I think what psychedelics do is they kind of flip all the switches of conditioned reactions off. And then it's like, whoa, wait a second. Like all of the things that I developed, all the responses that I've created because I'm scared of not responding that way are now gone and now uh, i can be free which is yeah. horrifying because the reason i'm not free is because i am avoiding all the scary things uh, so i think like all those fears can kind of flood into us as we realize that we're free from it um i don't know and it's kind of like a weird thing i don't know that this is all like actually something i've not really thought about but i really think this idea i don't know i think it's it's a weird way to look at it i'm not sure i don't know there's probably like more that goes on mm -hmm. besides this but i don't know yeah uh one one thing that really makes uh this kind of stuff stand out to me is uh the disparity of behavior between uh kids and newborn to adults and you know if you <laughs> if you saw an adult acting like a child you you would what would you say you'd probably say oh that person's crazy what are they doing or yeah we look at children behavior and we say oh it's normal because they're young but i think a part of that authentic behavior is they haven't so deeply attached to that training and conditioning you just mentioned and they're not fully immersed in that you know fictional story or 
of Western civilization that we're forced to play, not forced, but, you know, very heavily pushed to, I would say. And I, I think you could learn so many things from just looking at the behavior of kids and, you know, how easygoing and free they are, how they're not t so deeply attached to being adequate with regards to, like, financial stability or, like, you know, fitting in with a certain social sphere or any of that kind of stuff, you know? And it's it's awesome to think. It's honestly, you know, it, bring, <laughs> it brings me joy to think about that stuff, especially when I'm with psychedelics and you see how clearly, like, distinctly and authentically, like, children are. And it's almost like that's the natural way of human... There, that's that's almost like the baseline of where yeah. our consciousness stands at birth before we're in, uh, entrained and we develop all these condition responses. Yeah, it's really trippy. It's like the children are behaving before fear and reward has completely hijacked our behaviors. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And it's like, to think about it, it's like, well, I mean, I don't know. Like when you think of a baby, it's like, there's not much there, right? <laughs> yeah, but it, it, you feel like there's a, a sense of love there almost. The way they, they're so honest and, you know, their body language reflects them in all, the most sincere ways and there's no, like, deception or insecurity almost. It's just pure authentic. It's like, a you know, they're the shining lights of love. <laughs> That's yeah. how I can put it. Uh, so you also mentioned that kind of like this idea that Western society is insane. So so kind of what I think there is, I think everybody is on some level insane in that regard, like in a sense that, um, well, clearly like, like, okay, so let's say, what does being not insane look like? I feel like like the, the realistic conclusion of a society that isn't insane would be basically utopia and i feel like we haven't really figured enough things out to reach something like that mm. instead i think a lot of people believe that they're doing things the best way but it's even more complicated because like a yeah, lot definitely. of people actually hate western society even the people inside of it tend yeah. to and um and i think what's kind of deemed insane is not being able not not adopting the same conditioned like fears and reactions to the fears and same thing for rewards and then like we see like some other society they might have actually built it better like i think it's highly maybe even likely that um that probably there's like people in tribes that have much higher well-being in general than people in western society like i feel like the situation in our society is like 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 there's weird things going on right now like in the sense like so i kind of feel that what corporations are doing is it's like they're existing as this weird kind of it's like an ai of people's behavior that is now learning to farm humans <laughs> which um, is like yeah. it sounds kind of dark but yeah it's not a pretty way to put it but <laughs> and um 
I don't know. Like, I think that we're getting to a point where it's almost like, like, I think the thing in a tribe is that there's not that much power of the society over each person. Like, there, there's going to be obligations that people have to survive, but I think there's also a lot of freedom for probably, like, relaxing or doing other things, like, or, like, I don't know, like, I don't know. I think that there's probably a lot more empathy going on, whereas, mm-hmm. like, in our society and Western culture, it might be more, like... Like, people have learned how to threaten to turn you into a homeless person if you don't follow their orders, and they've learned how to, like, minimize the amount of rewards you get out of obeying their commands <laughs> and stuff like that. And I think there's, like, there's like weird distinctions. Like, some workplaces, I think they're, like, incentivizing people towards, like, rewards and goals. And then other places, there might be people being incentivized towards just survival and like there's probably a lot of different things like like not just one or the other um probably especially in terms of like the richer end of i guess like a class system is going to have people more incentivized towards acquiring rewards whereas like the bottom end is probably like exploiting people on the contingency that they will survive or avoid homelessness, like rewarding them with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a very weird thing. And I think like whether like the, the idea of insanity, it's kind of like, are you following the rules that everyone expects you to? And um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that people talk about it though. Like people, might call you insane for being an atheist um, if they're Christians or vice versa. Like, I feel like... context. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Even the word itself, you know, it, it could mean a million different things to each person. And who's to say, like, one person has the right definition of it or... You know, I think the the overall issue with that kind of thing or just mental disorders regarding craziness in general is uh, just the intrinsic design of uh, our, our place on Earth. You know, we, we're animals that have basic needs that things like pride, greed, fear, those are all innate to almost like the human condition almost. And then there's our higher states of awareness that you know, we where we can reach states of virtue and peace and prosperity, and I, f- I think the battle between those two sides, human condition, is what predicates a lot of you know craziness and insanity. And at the end of the day, it's you know it's it's all on one spectrum. It's all it's all relative, obviously. Although yeah. it does seem be. Uh, one thing that's interesting is it seems to be in very specific to the the human condition you know you don't do we see this stuff anywhere else in the animal kingdom or the plant kingdom or hmm. mental disorder itself seems very predicated on uh mankind at least from my perspective i don't know if, if there's 
Maybe I'm very ignorant when I'm saying that, and there's mental disorders for other animals. I'm sure animals have things like anxiety and whatnot. I'm sure that's their trauma. But, you know, it's just interesting. Yeah, I think but. with animals, what I imagine... Like, I do think they can hallucinate. I think they can definitely form delusions, uh, uh -huh. depending on how that's defined. Like, a lot of... So, in our culture, which I actually don't like this part about the definition of delusion but it's pretty much defined as whether or not you're conforming or not it doesn't necessarily uh, uh, it's not necessarily defined by whether someone is thinking the right or wrong idea like I think like uh, people probably wouldn't call it delusional if it's the right idea and no one else agrees but for some reason, we're allowed to believe the wrong ideas if it's culturally normal to do yeah, that. Exactly. And so with the animals without a culture or no mimetic spread of ideas, I think it's like they probably all come to different conclusions and um, or maybe not come to conclusions because maybe that's more useful. I don't know. Uh, but they probably do come to conclusions. They probably like form heuristics and like make predictions about how things work and then like try to exploit them or whatever um, but I do think that animals like hallucinate and feel anxiety and get addicted to things and all those sorts of things but uh -huh. in terms of like if we would call it like say schizophrenia in particular is like um I don't know like uh I forgot what I was going to say about that, but I, like, I agree on some level that, um, that an animal, like, to describe an animal as schizophrenic would probably be somewhat absurd, like, uh -huh. partially because of the lack of culture, um, because that seems to be, like, a huge part about how we're defining if people are insane and like like to describe i guess also to describe it as a mental disorder is also another thing like because a lot of them are probably like adaptive responses that yeah at some point are not useful in some cases but i think that's like a little bit weird like if you get traumatized a lot of that's centered around like survival instinct i think it's kind of like like experiences where you feel like you're going to die like you you don't die and then you develop a response that tries to act as a warning sign that you might be approaching a death situation again but it's also kind of a weird thing because it's like you didn't die before so were you approaching a death situation and also is the warning sign accurate and like like when we think about nature like f the, the getting more accurate and trying to be like skeptical in that case is actually not a good thing <laughs> like yeah. um like if it was a warning sign and you go test the hypothesis that basically means you die so like in that case like you have to kind of withdraw from trying to test any hypotheses about whether or not that means you're going to die and so, like, it actually becomes more of a rational choice to develop 
conditioned responses that are hyper generalized and not nuanced enough and wrong so it's like to call it a disorder i think is a little bit yeah absolutely like in our case in society we can have other people tell us hey that's not a warning sign of death because we figured it out but i think the mind is still working on a different level and is like hell no i'm not listening to you like i could die if i listen to you you could be wrong i feel Uh, like it's like that you know yeah so that that goes back to my my whole uh lawnmower thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that definitely gave me a new perspective on it because quite literally i would whenever something it didn't even have to be a lawnmower it just had to be something that resonated very similarly to the ohm and uh i would go i would be like all right this is it like you need to dedicate the next 15 seconds to like just letting the universe take it you know shut your lights off and surrender yourself quote unquote yeah uh it's interesting and now that you now that we you gave me that new perspective i'm almost i'm sure a part of me is going to be like wait that's just you reacting to an a, a near-death experience and you know putting it on a pedestal of importance because while you were experiencing death you heard this and that you know uh yeah you can probably an- like I don't I don't know like it gets kind of tricky when it comes to things like this but I think you can potentially in those moments when you notice it's happening you could choose maybe a different reaction I'm not sure about it though but cuz I don't know conditioned responses it gets to be a weird thing like when it comes to like like say letting go and like how you kind of explained the letting go um behavior i guess um i don't know i think it's possible you can like choose a different reaction to it and then over time your brain will kind of learn that well i don't i don't know i don't know what it'll learn it might it like this kind of might be arbitrary because i imagine choosing to let go like if this really lasts something like 15 seconds it seems like it's not very consequential like there's not really like choosing to let go doesn't have a negative effect you know (laughs) so it might not matter to change it Uh, it's yeah it's now that you you described it for me it's more so i i i feel like a part of my ego has this instinctive reaction of not you're gonna die because i you know, so much of me is aware, like, oh, you're not going to die. But it's just almost like a snapshot reaction that quickly dissipates, almost. Um, yeah, like the anticipation that it's about to happen. Yeah, and uh, another thing I was I wanted to talk about was, like, that was just one specific example, you know? And so sometimes when we're on... Uh, you know, like mushrooms, for example, which may last, you know, six hours. You could have any sort of experience within those six hours that while you're in such a vulnerable state that you can sort of ha- create that kind of... I'm sure this is, you know, obvious, but you can... A similar thing can happen, you know, not just with 5 meal, but with any substance. And when there's a bigger window for that kind of thing to happen, 
um, it's a lot more potential for something to happen, you know? And I'm sure if I really thought about it, I could find things in my psyche that, you know, are some sort of, like, conditioned response from a trip, you know? I'm sure you probably could, too. Or I remember I was talking to you a while back about my THC experience, which was a very struggling or one that made me struggle a lot you know because it was so intense anxiety wise but uh one yeah not to go too off topic but one other thing i wanted to briefly touch upon was this might be completely not related to what we were just talking about but um how much credence can we give to our inner narrator while these experiences are, are actually taking place and uh it's mm-hmm. like for example like uh i guess to put in perspective like on mushrooms or acid like i can theoretically in my own mind speak to myself in english the whole time uh and i can sort of narrate it and you know say oh this is happening in my mind and you know you can write a story so to say uh it's different with like five and meal where like there's brief moments where you, that's just that doesn't seem possible and then as you come back to it that narrator slowly picks up its pace and puts things in a box and i was wondering if i could get your thoughts on like how much uh actual credence that's what i can say like can you respect those stories and those ways of frameworking it you know yeah hmm. okay what i think Hmm, so, well, I would, so, I don't know, I sort of take the position generally that most of our beliefs aren't things that we should trust super deeply in, just kind of like, mm, I don't know, like, uh, kind of like similarly how we brought up that ontology topic, I think... It's kind of like the do chairs exist thing, right? Uh, and and yeah. it also, it kind of was like maybe a touch of solipsism, but not in the sense of, uh, like, I don't believe that other people don't exist, but I choose to kind of be agnostic about what this is that we are experiencing. Like, it could be a simulation and everyone else is actually NPCs, potentially. Not that yeah. I believe that, but I sort of don't conclude that it's not the case because I don't know. So, like, I don't know. And I kind of take this kind of mentality with everything. Like, the, like the solipsism thing is just the most extreme end of, like, I don't even know anything about the external world at all. Like, I just experience stimuli... And I'm trying to piece it together to something that is supposed to be related to what the external world is, but that doesn't imply any sort of truth or anything. And when I think of, like, when you mentioned the narration, uh, I would be suspicious of almost every thought that I have generally. So, like... But, but, like, the other thing that I was kind of thinking is, like, I I don't know if you've heard, but I think there's, I think there was some study that kind of actually questioned people on 
whether they have internal narration and not everybody does i think it was actually almost oh wow 50 don't huh. um it might have been like 44 percent or something like that i don't remember the specifics but um so i don't know like like that's kind of an interesting thing and the thing with my own experience is i sometimes had an internal narrative but I sort of stopped doing that and I don't necessarily know why I don't think it's like I lost it I could just sit here and do that but I don't tend to I kind of and I've also had like other things that I used to do like I used to daydream and kind of simulate experiences of interacting with other people uh, like hanging out with them and like having conversations with them like uh -huh. I used to do that a lot and I don't Did do that. Yeah. Um, so I think like we can do a lot of different things with our mind. Um, and you mentioned kind of doing it while you're on psilocybin or like tripping and they kind of, you said they kind of go away. I imagine that they're going away because you're doing something different. Like, and I've had a lot of different experiences with what I do on psychedelics. Like, so earlier I described kind of just ignoring any internal, um, I suppose, like, stimuli, right? Like, I talk about talked about not attending to the implications of my sensory representations that I'm building about the external world. So, like, I look at a tree and I don't think about how that tree is made of atoms or I don't think about the texture or the feeling of the tree unless I'm actually touching it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think about the fact that the tree is supposed to not move, um, that it's hard and not soft, and all these different things. Like, I, there's a lot of things I decided to not pay attention to, and I just completely paid attention to just the stimuli that I experience from the external world. And it's kind of like a meditative thing, I think. Like, I think uh -huh. you could potentially get there with meditation. Uh -huh. um, but I think it's like I'm essentially doing that instead of whatever I usually do, which is to think about all those other things about what I call a tree. And because of that, I think it actually amplifies very greatly my actual attendance to the tree. And it almost looks like I'm in like this 4K version of reality. And I yeah. think a lot of people describe stuff like that. And I've even seen some people describe having permanent effects of like HD vision after. And I think it's because they probably weren't attending to reality um, on some level. Like, they were intending heavily probably to internal stimuli and probably because they found that useful. And this is where it kind of gets into, like, trauma. Like, people, um, people might kind of develop a conditioned tendency to avoid paying attention to external reality if it was like painful like if they were in a crappy environment they might withdraw into their imagination or withdraw yeah. into strongly avoiding attention to what's happening around them and then they might call this like some sort of dissociative state and then on the psychedelic it might take away that tendency or habit or addiction to doing that and then they're like hurled into this other experience where they're like, wow, this is insanely useful to actually look at what's in front of me. And they become so like encaptured by it that they 
bring that back and they realize paying attention to the outside world is useful. Um, and I think like the narration, I think it's just another different cognitive tool that we could or could not use. I don't know if I've actually answered what you said, um, but I'm kind of just sort of trying to paint a picture of what I think that uh -huh. narr narrative or narration device is in our mind and yeah so what do you think did i did i even touch on the answer there well i mean i i'm questioning why i if i asked it in the right way now because though though my intent behind trying to get your thoughts on the narrator was because uh i attribute a lot of my uh, my healing from these experiences to how I internalize them in the sense that um, the the story I told I tell myself of how it went down, how it happened, what exactly happened, um, that kind of like that's like the the my way of piecing it all together, so to speak, and. Um, mm -hmm. I guess if I could give an example, it might try and make better sense of it. Uh, when I was in Costa Rica and we all did ayahuasca, we we sat in a circle the next day and we would go around saying or telling each other each of our experiences. And very often I would see people uh, reciting almost like an entire dream-like experience that would be, it would sound entirely fiction or entirely sci-fi-like. Uh, you know, one guy, I remember, he talked about um, he was in a coliseum and all these different enemies were coming at him and they were all metaphors for different different battles he was facing mentally and, you know, it sounds so extravagant and so profound, but how much of that is him uh, just trying to, like, wrap his head around what was happening and painting it, painting it in a good light own sake of oh i survived ayahuasca i survived an ego death experience that was like threatening my reality and uh does that make sense i guess what i'm trying to yeah. say is uh i could tell you my own narration for how i <laughs> talk about my ayahuasca experience like at one point um felt like <laughs> this is gonna sound crazy i know but it felt like i was someone was doing surgery on me like an alien mm -hmm. and uh, was stitching my soul up and um i i told i told that the next day at the group share and then later did i know that uh the the facilitator of this the the place uh the owner he said uh, that's the most common thing i hear people say they get surgery done on themselves by an <laughs> alien and yeah it sounds crazy but um how much of that is real and i remember i mentioned this to you earlier like is my ego trying to put it into words so that it finds a sense of being comfortable in knowing what happened because when you're in the moment and that stuff is happening like i felt helpless but after the fact if i go back and i say with english words oh this is what was happening oh it makes sense now um you know, like, does that make sense to you? 
Yeah, so I, there's a couple interesting things. Well, the very last thing you just said about talking about it in words, and kind of it might tie into the idea of the narration. The weird thing is we try to make things understandable through words, but I think a lot of our understanding is something more... Um, something that is occurring before words. I think we can use words to think through things like as a device and kind of like play with ideas because of the way we attach words to experiences and it's kind of like heavily abstracted. It's almost like um, it's almost like how you could have the number 10 instead of looking at 10 objects, which it's like 10 objects is like a lot of them and it's kind of hard to actually like track it in your mind potentially. But then if you have the number 10, it's like a like a symbol that makes it much easier to manipulate and play with concepts. And then we can get into like the number a thousand. Like if we looked at a thousand apples, oh, right, yeah. that would probably be not comprehensible as a thousand objects. But yeah, we might that's... look at it and kind of like have a sense of what we're looking at. But um and I don't know that we would actually understand it to be a thousand apples. I think that we would actually not have the level of comprehension to do that probably <laughs> yeah um, i would agree <laughs> but in terms of like the way that we're processing and understanding of things i think it happens before words um like when you talk about the experiences and then you're trying to pit them into words it's like you're trying to pit them into I don't know, just like these very abstracted, boxed-in symbols that aren't made to explain experiences outside of uh, what everyone else is able to see or something like that. Um, so there was something else you mentioned about... Uh, so you mentioned like that guy's experience with being on like a battlefield. Yeah. So I don't know for sure, but... I think what's, and I haven't had this experience actually, but um, so the same way that I described attending to the external world um, on psilocybin and kind of uh, the kind of like no longer attending to all the internal, like, like basically the experience I described like a couple minutes ago. Um, just dropping away all the inside stuff and only paying attention to the senses, right? I think you can do the opposite, potentially. I think one could pay attention heavily to internal stimuli and then completely dissociate from the external world. And that seems like more what happens on things like DMT trips. Um, but I think it's actually probably possible if you were to meditate on it on even lower doses... And actually, like I said, I didn't experience it, but I have on ketamine and other dissociatives. And that's actually my most recent experiences. And I didn't even take much of it, which is kind of wow. the crazy part. Like I only took 80 yeah. milligrams and it wasn't even, it was sublingual. So like, that's kind of not that high. But what I noticed, I basically tried to intentionally apply the ideas of, um, 
how attention plays a role in these kind of experiences. Like instead of, so what I usually do, which I now realize is the wrong way to go about it, um, usually I tend to, like I'll, I'll blindfold myself and just stare into the darkness hoping that something will pop up in my vision, right? <laughs> and what I realize though is actually, I think that's grounding me. Like I think that's the same as if I were to do body scanning, which is kind of like where you purposely try to attend to the sensations of your feet and you kind of like work up all the way through your body and you're essentially like trying to focus on the senses of your body uh-huh. as a way to like stop dissociating and also oh, you think body scanning is a, is a good approach to stop to stop dissociating potentially like i think the experience when i was on psilocybin and i fully immersed into my senses i'm essentially sense scanning if you want to put it that way. Um, and I think whatever we do, whatever we scan during the experiences when our attention is freed from its usually confined tendencies, I think we will just experience whatever that is. Like we could even, like, so what I've noticed is like on psilocybin, I do actually have a choice to attend to reality in the normal boring ways. And last time when I took the same dose that caused me to immerse into my senses, I took the same amount, but instead I just stayed grounded because I was with another person and I felt like I had this obligation to not disconnect from all of that, you know? Um, But there were points where, like, I got triggered by, like, a stranger kind of showed up. We were in the forest and a stranger, like, showed up and I freaked out and my head just started, like, tripping like crazy. Like, I went from basically sober to, like, tripping out like crazy and like losing control yeah, of me too <laughs> yeah and uh i actually was able to meditate out of that again though like i i sort of did like a sensory scanning where I like like it's almost the same exact thing that caused me to fully immerse into like this hd sensory experience mm-hmm. but i didn't go as far as doing that but i did completely stop the like spiraling out of control situation and so you grounded yourself by getting back into your senses you would say yeah like i think what happened when the guy showed up is i started immersively panicking and ruminating on a solution to solving how do we get away from this person or avoid them at all costs (laughs) and then when we did it like we went into this little pocket of a space near like a stream and my mind's still like looping like oh my god he's gonna show up or like what do we do about it and then i was just like whatever like i'm gonna just like look at the ground right now and pay attention to my peripheral vision like i would kind of like expand the focus like so normally we like focus on one object and like right from when it started kicking in before i even started freaking out i noticed that i can focus on every tree in the forest at once as if it were a single object in a way like i was focusing on the everythingness of it and then i could like narrow it down and look at one tree at the expense of losing touch with everything else and i would kind of like shift between those and so like when i was panicking i basically just applied that again and it worked it like it stopped everything and i grounded but okay, so I, I actually, sorry, I'm like going on and on, but the reason I brought it up is with ketamine, I did the opposite. I, instead of attending to my senses or my body anymore, this time I decided, what if I just 
forget it. And then I started to immerse into both like a mix of my imaginary ideas and just thinking thoughts and words. And then this started to like accelerate really quickly into basically a K-hole. Like, like I lost touch of where my body was, like what position I'm in. I lost sense to any sensation to my perception of like vision or he- I still was hearing because I was listening to music and I was actually letting that guide my experiences. Um, but like I was able to disconnect from what time of day it was, even though I knew like I was able to become aware of it and then reject it and start ignoring it on purpose. So like I would remember, yeah, it's like noon right now, but then I would say, forget that. I don't want to think about that. And then I would start to perceive it as if it was night, which was like really weird. Um, yeah. Hmm. In so, some sense, uh, oh, sorry to interrupt. No, uh, yeah, it's your turn now, actually. <laughs> yeah, I just had a question. Um, and don't you experience some forms of synesthesia on these substances, though? So I did on ketamine during that experience, which I usually don't that much on ketamine, but what I noticed is I was playing music that had sounds that were like... Um, they kind of sound like scratching on wood mixed with also like bubbles in water. And so like this kind of changed the nature of what I was imagining in a sense, but it was also kind of, it was kind of automatic. Like I'm just sitting there watching my imagination build things. And it's sometimes it's not even representational, like it's very loose. So it's like, it's not like I'm sitting there thinking of like, myself being in a forest or whatever it's more like like pretty much what i was seeing was like this weird space it was like black clouds except they weren't actually like clouds they were like this weird carpet texture of yeah like i don't even know <laughs> yeah yeah i was i just asked because uh, you said like you would uh you know ground yourself by doing like a body scan or whatnot, and uh, sometimes when I'll, I'll be tripping, it'll be hard to distinguish one sense from the other. Um, and you, it's funny you mentioned when you said that guy was showing up. I almost feel like when that kind of stuff happens, it's almost like I get this snap instant, like I'll like snap out of it, like back to reality, like what the fuck is going on almost like uh almost like i wake up from being asleep not this not like i'm asleep so to say but almost like being vaulted to certain state of consciousness like uh i don't know if that has anything to do with what we were talking about but it's interesting how like when fear anxiety takes over it it's it's so grounding in a way but it's it's also very panicky just itself but uh you said you grounded yourself by by like focusing on the trees and having different perceptions of the forest and in one tree and um sometimes i would like when i'm really deep like on a high dose like uh me and my brother for example like we can't distinguish uh like sound from vision or thought from uh vision it, it'll get like very intense and uh 
I didn't really bring that up other than just it's very interesting to think about that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think... Hmm, so... Okay, hold on. Um... So you mentioned something at first, which I actually... Okay, um... Well, hold on. No, I don't actually remember what I was going to say, but 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 for the later thing, kind of what I was thinking is, oh, okay, actually, I remember now. So when that guy, like, shows up, I feel like what's happening, like, so while we're in the trip, I feel like it's almost like we relieve ourselves of all these conditioned responses, and then we're like, like, a lot of the times, that's really pleasant, because, like, the conditioned responses kind of are what brings a lot of our suffering like thinking about ah uh, like, yeah dying and losing our job and being unimportant to other people like those are things that suck so we kind of like just relax into this blissful moment of like looking at our senses or whatever else sometimes or potentially even our imagination and um then along comes this person and then we're like it's just like oh crap like turn on all the conditioned responses again this is an emergency and like yeah. all our fears kick back online and we're like trying really hard to like cling on to like these conditioned responses <laughs> yeah it's very interesting it's a perfect way to put it uh i i was uh i had a very similar experience to the one you described i was in a forest with my friends and this truck started driving along and uh, I was with four people. Three of us started panicking, like, oh, what do we do? <laughs> and one of my friends was just like, just say hi. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh. like, you know, we just, for some reason, I'll overthink just the most simple things. But I think the reason I was, I had such a hard time comprehending, like, a interaction, like, a, such a simple interaction, like, just say hi, like, if he happens to drive by or whatever is it's such a conditioned response like to the point that we detach so much from it when we're in that psychedelic uh headspace because it's like it's so conditioned you know it's that's yeah. like so out of reach from the psychedelic mind space <laughs> it's interesting yeah it's like what do you do do you just start dancing you know like should i entertain this person that's passing by should i yeah. hide or are they gonna kill me <laughs> yeah you can really fabricate so many stories though with such those kind of things i know it's it's pretty interesting um so you also mentioned kind of like not being able to tell the difference between senses and i think i think that could potentially be tied back to this i this kind of i guess hypothesis about the conditioned responses like i think that we kind of essentially I feel like in very early childhood, we go through a period of actually learning to distinguish the senses as being different things and not always different things. Like, I think there's actually, like, so, like, in the brain, there's kind of, like, there's usually primary sensory cortices, and then there's, like, a secondary sensory cortices, and then there's associative cortices, which actually are, like, bridge regions where the senses begin to overlap with each other. And I think that we essentially kind of learn how to create a sculpted reality that is like this... It's kind of a mesh between different layers of things. Like, there's, like, direct stimuli, and then there's um, kind of ways of connecting 
those direct stimuli with themselves. Like if you think of, um, like like there's like points of light, right? But then there's also like a collection of points of light that create like objects and symbols within that sensory domain. And I think that's kind of what the, the secondary uh, sensory cortices do. And then there's the associative cortices, which is kind of like the bridge where um, you can potentially kind of like, uh, like I feel, I feel like that's where the synesthetic type experiences occur. Um, and I think that there's not necessarily, like I think the distinctions are in the ways that we subtract things about the experience kind of like um well it's kind of like pitting things in boxes maybe i, I this is like a really loose way of thinking of it and i'm not really sure what i really no. think yet um but i think like when we're in those experiences what might happen is we might kind of unhinge from these boxes that we've created and like i think when we're children what happens is we blend together the senses and let the senses stimulate across cortices like like your auditory cortex might be given permission to stimulate the visual cortex wow and then like wherever like these points are like meeting you might kind of like create a bridge right like so like um the way we have an idea of what knocking on wood sounds like might be built from this bridge from like the auditory cortex to it's like building like a string all the way to the visual cortex in a weird way and uh then as we grow we might like erase a lot of elements from that so that it's only this kind of abstract essence of knocking on wood sounds like this and that's like this weird conglomeration of like my physical touch hitting on this visual surface that creates like a sound that emits out of it you know and uh but i think people with synesthesia kind of have like a broader um like they don't prune away they don't prune it away so that's just like this weird essence instead they might have like conditioned responses to uh, see letters as being colored or see sounds or whatever it might be. I think they might have like retained more of it and not kind of pruned it or cut it away. And I think with psychedelics, it's kind of getting us back to the starting space where it's kind of like we need to figure out what yeah. to build our worldview like right like we're trying to build the perception from these essences of stimuli and like see how they connect together and how we can play with them and create something meaningful and i think that when you take away when you strip away the conditioned like like presumably there's like conditioned inhibition of responses that cause us to not experience synesthetic type experiences right like it's like gating or suppressing the possibility for that to happen in our normal waking life and then when you take away that conditioned inhibition maybe you start to blend it all together and experience all these weird things with it yeah. does that make sense yeah absolutely i uh wouldn't, wouldn't you say that 
uh, the psychedelic experience from your own perspective of when you're in it is very similar to how you perceived things when you were a kid? Because I remember you were just talking about how synesthesia is almost like partially there when you're developing almost and it's, it's diminishes as we get older. Yeah, so so I actually talk about this quite a bit. This so for anyone else also who is out there listening in the recorded podcast, uh there so I the the project if you search on my website it's called the Phoenix Effect because it's basically the idea is like with a Phoenix, right? It's like you the Phoenix kind of like burns up and then resets as like a baby or something in a sense and it's like a rebirth idea and so like kind of the idea is that what psychedelics are doing is like inducing a rebirth effect in a way of like bringing back the childlike state of consciousness mm-hmm. and presumably by disrupting my opinion my hypothesis is that it's by disrupting conditioned responses and freeing us from them and um so we kind of default back to whatever we were as if we didn't yet develop them um and yeah so like the other thing is there's uh there's this neonatal synesthesia hypothesis that this person uh this professor of developmental psychology way back kind of coined uh where it's it's basically the idea that or the hypothesis that children are usually synesthetic and that we undergo pruning, like synaptic pruning and different kinds of pruning that uh, kind of cull away the synesthetic connections. At like a biological level, you're saying? Yeah, like a biological level. And like part of her hypothesis, people people bring up uh, like evidence of it, like that, uh, like, I don't remember right now all the specific evidences, but, um, like, there's different things like how brain activity changes and how pruning occurs, like, and there's this idea that basically by eight months old, we start to not have as much synesthetic experiences. But, like, before that, it might be that most people are. And then the people who do actually have adult synesthesia there's evidence that they have less pruning from that age. Like they still have, they have more connectivity in certain parts of the brain and stuff like that, that usually people prune it away. Like there's evidence that basically children have like hyperconnectivity, and then eventually by eight months, it's like pruned away. And then there's evidence that people with adult synesthesia didn't do that as much. So that this might somehow be related to their sensory crossing is that like these sensory cortices maybe didn't uh, prune away as many connections. Oh, wow. Yeah. I noticed, uh, looking back, whenever I uh, go through uh, the stages of ego death on on a psychedelic, that um, part of me can't, I mean, I'm sure this is anyone, I can't help but get come up anxiety, and I feel like a big part of that is that as I loosen myself into this uh, synesthesia state, uh, it's almost like my mind has this physical sensation of loosening its grip 
on how I perceive reality. Uh, just to give an example, it's almost like the amount of intrusion that my thoughts have that uh, I use to dictate what I'm perceiving is like slowly diminishing to the point where maybe my sight entirely takes over and it's almost like it feels like I'm being sabotaged in a sort of way because I'm so used to like putting all these senses in the background and using my mind you know that's the common uh, downfall of western civilization using our minds overly in a negative way and thinking negative things and being attached to thought and as that uh, constriction loosens up it's it generally feels like it has a physical sensation to it almost like I'm dissolving into my body more and that feeling itself <laughs> that feeling itself gives me anxiety because I'm so used to not being in that grounded state like you were saying earlier you use uh body scans yeah. to uh ground yourself it's uh, it, obviously it feels good it feels amazing to open up these these pores quote unquote that i'm so used to not using but it uh, if anyone out there listening uh listens to joseph campbell he talks a lot about how our mind likes to be in control and as it loosens up and we give you know our gut our heart our our breath our lungs these reservoirs to like offer new perception it it's interesting because a part of me experiences anxiety as i'm traveling into the bliss of these new ways of perceiving things yeah i hear this a lot and like another thing i hear that so another thing I hear is that people will experience, there's like, so I've heard some people say that there's like a kind of medium-ish dose that's actually more anxious than if you were to take a higher dose that oh, fully yeah. hurls you into like a different mindset. Yeah, yeah. And the thing I'm thinking now about this, it's kind of like tying back to a lot of what we were discussing earlier is like, like there's probably some point where as these like kind of conditioned th ways of thinking are leaving us we're also still aware of the kind of implications of them like we still have maybe the conditioned like so it might even be like there might even be like a hierarchy of like which things are removed first like i imagine like like so we probably are like first the first layer might be like a conditioned sense of like like say say with like security or something like security and survival like uh -huh. there's some conditioned response like oh you really need to care about this and or like whatever it is that our fears are at their core like there's some base level of like having a conditioned response like i need to manage those things or else i'm gonna suffer and then there's like another layer of conditioning where those core kind of emotions and fears have kind of linked to our behaviors and reactions to them. And then there's probably there's probably like a huge list of reactions linked to those kind of core um, conditioned feelings. And so like like presumably at the very core they're not even like conditioned though like like probably there's some element of like instinctual death fear or something like that but then that death fear is like hijacked all the way 
through like a series of like complicated like uh, conditioned responses that makes us essentially afraid of losing our job, which actually stems from like this conditioned fear of, or like this core instinctual worries about death because we think about how our survival is still contingent on performance at our job. And then we might like further elaborate that, that now we have like conditioned responses of how our boss looks at us with his eyes and his expressions and how that might relate to having our job, which might relate to having not dying or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so there's like, there's almost like an entire hierarchy of responses. And I bet that it dissolves from the top down to the bottom. And when you're in like these medium stages or the come up anxiety, or even like those medium doses where you're permanently coming up is what I've kind of heard it described as. You're probably like in that space where you're like, wow, "Wow, I don't remember how I'm supposed to react, but I remember that I'm supposed to do something and it's really freaking me out. Yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) Like I know that like I'm doing something wrong and I could die but I don't know what to do. Like, it's like that. Yeah. I would, I mean, I'm a fairly experienced psychonaut, I would say, I would say, but, uh, that stuff still scares me that the thought of those medium doses where you're kind of stuck in between. And, uh, cause I feel like, uh, for example, when I did five MEO, it, it almost felt like I didn't have a choice to surrender or not. It was almost like, you're going to die like period and you have 15 seconds to not even fight it it was almost like the second i inhaled it was like yep there you go but with psilocybin i felt like or acid especially um i'm in between these two worlds of ego society reality and pure consciousness the spiritual realm whatever you want to call it and yeah i feel like I could definitely agree with you. You mentioned there's a there's a dosage dependent way of uh, how you'll respond and how comfortable it'll be in that middle dose. You could imagine where you you're capable of fighting it, so to speak, to as where you take a very high dose and you're so overwhelmed to the point where even if you're having anxiety, it's almost like it you just dissipate right into it because it's so overwhelming that you're almost forced to surrender if that makes sense which i would prefer (laughs) because no one likes having a bad trip yeah and probably like there's probably some point where you start to dissolve the things that like like let's say i'm with friends and there's like this come up anxiety experience i feel like some elements of the anxiety might include then it might not necessarily include this like i think it's probably highly variable or something but you might feel like like you might start forgetting how to behave like a normal person but yet you actually yeah you actually still care about doing that but then like there's probably a point where you actually don't care about it like because it's like Uh, even caring about that is a conditioned response to yeah wow yeah so like halfway is like it's like you're in that weird limbo of like damn yeah. i really care about this but i don't know what to do like no, I'm i don't like that right limbo. i don't like that limbo at all uh yeah it's a, that's a good point 
because I've been in that situation where I, I'm like, I need to act a certain way, but I have no idea how. And I, I'm sure, like, as anyone would, you'd say, oh, I need to act quote unquote normal. And then I'll have no idea of how to interpret what normal is, or I'll be like so disconnected with that idea. But I'll still be worried about what someone's thinking about me. And yeah, maybe you can reach a point to where you don't care. And there might even be layers beyond that of other fears that are just so deeply hidden or out of reach with our sober state that maybe arise. Like a good one I can think of, which not for the sake of, I don't think this is a realistic fear, but this is something I've experienced before when I've done very high doses is I'll get past the point of fear of uh, acting normal or judgment and it'll almost turn into like this cosmic fear of wait is this whole universe designed to like is it like a game like like yeah. you said earlier everyone in NPC I get in that that territory on very high doses and like I did six and a half grams of mushrooms and it was very different three and a half grams of mushrooms to where I was worried about am I looking weird right now? Like, am I going to say something like too stupid to my friends? And then I did six and a half and I was like, wait, is like the whole universe like rigged? Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're pulling back from like being immersed in this like culture. And then it just pulls back all the way until it's like the problems of just existing kind of. Yeah, exactly. I I don't like uh, so I, I feel like fear is a very prominent thing on these substances just due to the nature of ego death itself but uh, a very common theme I noticed is as you surrender them almost like you have to come face to face with them in order to overcome them I noticed it you probably mm. know this too if you if you push them away or if you uh if you let them uh cook up in your mind or you dwell on them that's like that's the perfect remedy for making them only get worse when the trip's over <laughs> yeah i honestly feel like that's how you can program yourself to dissociate kind of like i feel like that's pretty much describing like the choice to dissociate from that thing as a way to cope but at the same time i think that when you do that to really fundamental kind of like if you think of this idea of like pulling back away from like this cultural like superficial kind of like reality or like not even that but like like the kind of day-to-day -day life things and then pulling back and going into this like almost like the philosophical underpinnings of your existence or like core developmental yeah. things i feel like when you start to mess with that like dissociate from something like that i feel like it can have effects that reach really deep into like your day-to-day -day life like say like let's just use the example of like say fear of death if you decided to just dissociate from that maybe you'd like come out of it and then stop caring about if things die or something like that i don't know if that would be yeah. a realistic example but but you could imagine like dissociating from any empathy with death or like any concern to the point of uh like maybe you're no longer concerned about 
like putting other people's lives at stake or something like that or I mean like this might not be a realistic example but like just things like that where you might mess with something more fundamental that like just spider webs out into a whole realm of like your life and like if you dissociate from feeling one of those like core issues I don't know I don't know I think it's really a weird interesting thing and like how, how you mentioned that might have like far-reaching effects after the experience yeah yeah I've, I've been on the side of good and bad trips and I noticed <laughs> the whether it's good or bad it definitely lingers with you afterwards for a while and that's why it's important to have the right Okay, so that's fixed. Um, so, okay, so I actually noticed that my mind is getting a little bit ADHD now. Too. Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, I feel it. I've noticed Just for the it. sake of maintaining conversation. Yeah. So, um, this might be a good point to kind of wrap it up, I guess. Sure, yeah. So, uh, do you have last words? Uh, yeah. Uh, one thought that really helped me, um, with, uh, I mentioned earlier, I have this difficulty with, uh, experiencing some sort of, uh, flashbacks-esque thing with my ego death experiences. And you, you mentioned uh, in in some ways, I'm experiencing a form of death, and that itself is powerful enough to anything correlating with that situation is itself a form of trauma, like the ohm sound. So it really put into perspective, like it's not the ohm itself that is, you know, giving me this sort of relapsed PTSD thing. It's, it's not the lawnmower. <laughs> yeah, it's rather it's rather you know I I. I experienced it as I was going through this very profound event, and that's very helpful to me because uh, I was struggling with that. Not in a huge way, but it was just, it was kind of off-putting, you know? Um, but that helped me a lot. Uh, I also really liked our thoughts on, um, it's like going crazy, insanity, all those terms and how society, you know, defines it versus it's the true spectrum of what it may be. I found that stuff interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think, so I really liked a lot of the directions we went with this and it actually led me to new ways of thinking. Like I find that kind of conversing like this, it kind of it forces me to sort of reinterpret things and kind of... It's almost like we're blending together uh, perspectives in a way. And it's... I don't know. It forces me to sort of reevaluate certain things. Like, so for example, my favorite thing so far today was kind of this idea that there might be this hierarchy of conditioned responses, which... I kind of didn't think of it like this before, and I actually genuinely don't know why it started to now, but it happened. So, <laughs> but but you I mean think with just, uh, 
you mean with like the fears the levels of different yeah like it's i'll probably try to write this up or find a better way to explain it because it's still a little bit fuzzy i think the way it's the way i'm communicating it at the moment yeah but it's kind of like like the way i see it is that like there are some amount of core emotions that cause us to be conditioned like we learn to deal with some core emotions like whether it's pleasure and we're being rewarded or if it's dysphoria or fear and then like various things about our senses and the way that we create different kind of symbols in our reality like objects or events narratives people all these kind of things that we create in our reality in our mind we kind of begin to associate them with those core feelings that are kind of the root of what we actually care about and i think that like like we almost developed conditioned responses that are like say it's a fear we we associate fear to like certain observations in reality and then we end up like observing new things that we associate with those observations that we made before that are linked to the core feelings and we continue to do this until there's like a huge network of uh kind of these yeah. ideas and observations that get associated with each other that all tie back to like some core feeling and i think that like when we take some sort of like psychedelic what probably happens is like we start to strip away the top most recent layers of it probably it might be based on recency i'm not sure what i think about this part yet but it might be like the most new things are the most fragile and uh those get stripped away and then like underneath it there's like more of these webs of connections and observations linked to that core emotion and we might strip it all the way down until all that's left is some observation at which point maybe we actually stop um experiencing that feeling because there's nothing to trigger it like then we might just exist in this space that's like like i imagine i don't know if this is true but like i imagine like maybe say like on 5meo we might like blast off where it's like we get stripped away then we experience like horrifying fear and then you reach some point where it just like stops and then you feel just like nothingness or bliss or like something void of um anything being triggered about our experience or something like that uh -huh. i don't know if that's true um because i actually haven't ex experienced it to be honest yeah um uh. oh are you asking me i don't know <laughs> that potentially uh. opens up like a whole another like thing like, yeah <laughs> uh like yeah do, i, I guess sure it's true uh does the yeah, absolutely. I mean, from my personal experience and my, my brothers and my friends, uh, I, I do personally believe you reach a point where you're in such a void that it is like that. Um, my personal opinion, <laughs> I don't want to reach into opinion too much here, but I think that void itself is love and bliss and... It, for me, at least, it was so uh, 
convincing and real and authentic once I stripped away all those barriers. But, um, you know, just for disclaimer purposes, I was on a drug, so who knows? But <laughs> uh, Yeah, it is yeah. interesting. I've actually... Yeah. I remember, I think Hamilton Morris sort of described that as well, like on his... Oh, I did um, like his segment, yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, I think it could make sense. Like, the thing I'm thinking is, like, once you strip away all the things that can trigger different emotions, maybe all that's left is something very positive and safe feeling. And Yeah, that... that's how I would put it, absolutely, yeah. It's very, uh, you feel welcome in it. Just like you said, you feel safe. It it all makes sense. You have no questions, no doubts. That's that's mm. how I would. Yeah. Um, but I would. Yeah, I would really like it if you would do a, a write up on these different layers of uh, responses in the hierarchy. Almost. Uh, yeah. I find that interesting because I noticed <laughs> my first few trips. I was worried about the silliest things and only once i got through that very basic hierarchy was i able to delve into the deeper ones and i realized as as you shed through these deeper ones you get into even more deeper ones but it seems like the therapeutic value and uh just the value in general it gives you through understanding them in life is so much more potent the deeper you go like for just for example like my my first trip i was worried about like what my hair looked like you know and as yeah. i now i'm worried about like god and these deep profound like my very being and existence on earth it's just so yeah that's how it goes i would say <laughs> it's interesting yeah yeah um so so i think uh potentially in the future we can do something like this again if you end up like thinking of more ideas or questions um mm -hmm. it went pretty well i think um yeah, and I guess, let me think, um, okay, so, I, so, okay, okay, sorry, I'm, like, trying to think of an outro, I, 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 yeah, I don't have any, like, format for that, so, um, so, thank you for coming, this was very interesting, and, yeah, I think we should probably maybe do it again if you're up for it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I really liked how this might have been on my end. I liked how at the start we really condensed everything and kept it flowing. Uh, I noticed a part of me has this like uh, just back in my mind like, oh, you're being streamed or someone's listening. You have to uphold a conversation a certain way or not say something too shabby or like go off topic. But uh, that's more of a personal learning issue than the actual content itself podcast but yeah I, that I, takes I, a while to get over that yeah yeah <laughs> but and you I know i still get it but i also know how to like kind of suppress it super fast like i did it during uh -huh. this like when people join the chat and then they leave and i'm like did i say something but then i just exactly. like, stop <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah, i guess that comes with practice as you said so yeah totally but yeah all right thanks gage i appreciate it yeah. If we, if uh, if if you do want to do another one, I think it'd be really cool if we like. I mean, we went, we just went for two and a half hours. I don't want to say like lay out the whole thing, but like have like, uh, 
you know, bulleted talking points just to, like, keep us in flow or... But even though that, I mean, this did go well just off the top of our heads, I would say. Yeah. yeah just for my, my sake. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, uh, I will chat with you soon. Until next time. Oh, uh, if I, if I wanted to, like, um, like send this to my brother or something, would I, would I be able to get, like, a link or how does yeah, that work? Yeah, so I will, I will, um... Uh, I will upload that pretty soon, and it shows up on Spotify, too, and also, um, iTunes, and I think Google Play, and maybe one other, I don't remember, but, but yeah, so, like, yeah, we can, I'll, I'll DM you about that, and yeah, it'll for sure be up. Okay, thanks, Gage. Uh, until next time, thank you. See ya. Alright, see ya.